Hello, and welcome to Ma'am Pausing, the comics podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jamin. I'm Cameron. And today, we're going to be talking about Stanley. This is a kind of tribute episode to him. Um, he uh, passed away at like a, a, a bit under a week ago from when we're recording this. Yeah, very, very sad. Yeah. Uh, me and my brothers uh, just knew he was getting up there. And so we even mentioned before uh, in times past that, like, we're just know that, like, you know, any year can be the year. And that we were not looking forward to that headline. And it just seems so weird that the headline did come. Yeah, and- I- like, the first thing I saw on was, like, the TMG article on Twitter. Like, somebody I followed liked it. And I thought it was kind of weird. Like, I'm like, uh, oh, like, I didn't, because it seemed so surprising. But, like, you knew he was, like, 96 or, or so. But, like, it was, like, you didn't hear any worries about his health or anything. Like, Well, I, I think it might have been because Stanley, <coughs> excuse me, Stanley was, uh, at least had some level of a private life. Because uh, when I, I had heard he had health issues, but health issues is kind of vague. And I just figured he's 95. Of course, he has health issues. I didn't know they were like, you know, like he was, I didn't know he was getting ready to pass away. Um, but I mean, Stan Lee is just one of those uh, celebrity deaths that seems to. It has more of an impact on me than other celebrity guests have had. And of any person in comics, Stan Lee's the most recognizable non-fictional character in comics ever. Like every like tons of people know who Stan Lee is. Like it's he's just like a household name. I think he's the only person in comics to have that charisma to push them past between being comic book famous and real famous. Yeah. Because, I mean, and the cameos helped him out a lot, too. Mm-hmm. And being recognizable and being able to deliver those one line in his cameos and making him memorable and sticking out in every movie. Because, I mean, you can have an awesome, awesome movie. Like, you know, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, you know, the Avengers movies, Ant-Man, and then you walk out of the theater and talk about that one line that Stan Lee had. Pick that out of the whole movie. Um, yeah. And just his charisma and his legacy is just just amazing. And it's also his, like, because I'm sorry you've heard it. Like, I, we're not going to get into this it's like uh, any more than this in this episode. But, like, there's always been the big debate on how much of the what he created that he's credited with. But um, he did. Like, but it's undisputed that he had the charisma that made everybody know his like Stan soapbox at the end of every issue and uh, other things like that that made him stand out from the other creators. Yeah, he had a good wit about him and a good sense of humor, and uh, he was just about running the show at Marvel at one point. Yeah. So I. So we're going to start it off with um, our favorite comics, like he wrote. Um, so mainly 
I think we're mainly going to talk about like his like first decade or so, or like the 60s writings that he did. Like these would be his like original, these would be like his famous original comics he did. So would okay. you want to go first? So I, I shall. So for me, uh, the viewers or the listeners rather may remember from, I don't remember which episode it was. Should have even been the first episode. But I talked about um, one of my first exposures to comic books, which was online. Uh, I guess back when Yigigal Comics were first starting to pop up. And they had a lot of free, the log of the free comic books were the issue ones to like the 60s original titles. So, you know, I read Fantastic Four issue one. I read Amazing Spider-Man issue one. Uh, I don't remember. I might have read X-Men as you want. But, you know, I was reading along those, uh, along those lines. So even when I was little, I knew who Stan Lee was. And because I was really into superheroes, even before I was really into comics, I knew who Stan Lee was. Because I knew he created uh, most of the Marvel characters that I knew. Um, and so I, I remember Amazing Spider-Man, even though I read it a long time ago, I still remember a lot of the, uh, of the plot. And um, about a year ago, I had a free trial of Comicology Unlimited, and I started reading some Fantastic Four comic books. I only got through a few. Uh, well, <laughs> one storyline that sticks out was the scroll issue. Because one thing, even though I knew known about the scrolls, what I did not know is that the first appearance of the scrolls, the Fantastic Four defeat them by trapping them in a cow form. And so there's actually scrolls just roaming pastures as cows. Yeah. And I just thought it was so strange and so bizarre and so weird. I was like, okay, I guess it was the 60s. But just that stuck out to me. Um, the first the first 100 or so issues of Fantastic Four when it was um, Kirby and Stan Lee doing it together are like, if you look at best comic ones of all time, it's almost always in the top five for the most part. Yeah. It's... it's um, well, and I, it's one of the most iconic story arcs in the uh, Galactus story arc. I think like 47 through 50 or 48 through 51 or something like that. Before like the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe really was picking up, it was like the Fantastic Four, like, like the famous Fantastic Four storylines were the Marvel stuff that people associated with it. That and the X-Men, like Dark Phoenix Saga, now it's kind of funny thinking that there was a time period where it was mainly Fantastic Four and X-Men being popular with Marvel. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, Fantastic Four was Marvel's big title. And that was largely due to Dan Lee. Um, yeah. I mean, there's been quite a few, like uh, Jonathan Hickman's run, and I'm blanking on the name of... Uh, there's one... I feel bad, but there's one one that came after Stanley that was pretty good. It was really big up until uh, like the 
early late seventies, early. Well, I also 80s. think some of the movies they tried making helped kill the characters. It's it's a I think it's a shame that Fantastic Four, similar to Green Lantern, have almost become a joke because of their movies when their comics are really good. I mean, when I was younger, I actually was a big fan of Fantastic Four, even though it wasn't necessarily cool. Um, but I always thought it was a travesty that the Fantastic Four have fallen off the radar. And same thing with Green Lantern, because the Green Lantern is actually one of one of my favorite characters. Like he's right, he's Green Lantern might be like my top three. I mean, um, and so I'm looking forward to that movie, hoping in 2020, and hoping that the next Green Lantern movie gets it right. Because if it doesn't, then yeah, I I mean, uh, not to talk too much about Kyle Rayner, but they had a similar problem in the '90s with like uh, the some bad comics in the '90s of Hal Jordan ruining Green Lantern's legacy. So then they got Juan Mars to reboot it by putting in Kyle Rayner and changing the image of Green Lantern. And it's a similar stage in the public. Uh, All right, so they do that again, but yeah. they won't. I think in 2004, uh, Jeff Johns kind of rebooted it, I think, with uh, Rebirth. For no, for no reason. Everybody was liking Kyle Rayner, but Jeff Johns wanted to have Hal Jordan because he grew up with Hal Jordan. Well, I mean, I, I, Hal Jordan's still my green lantern. I know you disagree with me. And that's how you can like Kyle Rayner. He's how. It's, I just find it dumb how DC did the torch passing between Kyle Rayner and Hal Jordan. They didn't do it justice. Because, like, the whole first four years of Kyle Rayner was making him independent. And in, like, a span of a year, it went away. It just seems so odd to me, the way they did it. To be honest, I liked what they had going with Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. I like the concept of having the four corpsmen, um, Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, and Kyle Rayner. Because they each offer something unique to the table. And, like, I loved the blend of all four of them together. Yeah. Um, I have mixed thoughts on that series because there's one line in it that really makes me dislike it where this is getting way off topic for a Stanley episode, but. Uh, there's one line where Kyle Rayner says he always looked up to Hal, and Hal says he always knew that, which makes zero sense if you know anything about Kyle Rayner's origin story, where he just, where he knew nothing about Hal until Hal tried to kill him. So, I don't... Yeah, well, we are getting, like, way off topic. Uh, for, like, for a little while, I forgot that we were, what the theme of the episode was. Yeah. But so, uh, we, we do that over here sometimes. Um. So my favorite, getting back on like the Stanley topic, my favorite um Stanley written comic, even though it's like um, it's his. This is kind of a cop out answer, but it's his uh Sister Six annual, both um um his. It's a Spider-Man annual number one. So the first ever annual that was really a number one. And it was kind of like almost the best of of the whole Spider-Man series up to that point. It's really good. Cool. Um, it has that kind of charm that you'd expect in the, 
if you hear flicking pages, it's because I'm looking for a Stan Lee quote in it that's like at the back of one of the comics. Uh, I remember um, back when I didn't really have access to comic books, but I read a lot about comic books. I read about that issue, and I like read the plot of it in kind of general gist of what happened. Um, I think I was researching the Sinister Six, and so I got the gist of what ha- kind of happened in that issue. Yeah, it's a fun read. Uh, um, so uh, now we're kind of talking about what we already were doing, and that's like our favorite Stanley creations, like characters that he made. Well, I guess since we're already on the Spider-Man train, we need all the help we get focusing. Uh, probably my favorite, probably my favorite Stanley character is Spider-Man. Um. He, for one thing, I really like uh, the story of Stanley coming up with him. Because, uh, according to Stanley, the idea of Spider-Man was actually shot down initially because nobody likes spiders, and so they didn't think they could do a hero about him. But Stanley liked the idea, anyways, so he still pushed for it. And I think eventually they gave Spider-Man a shot in like. Uh, an amazing fantasy. So I, not, I don't think it was like a huge title or anything. But that issue did well. And so then they immediately gave Spider-Man his own series. And then voila. Yeah. Um, one thing that's nice about uh, like Spider-Man. Stan Lee's version of Spider-Man. Is that it is. Like if you read the first issue. He hasn't. In a good way, it's still the same Peter Parker. Like, me and you were talking about this a bit before the episode started, about how some of his characters have changed so much from when he created them to now. But with Spider-Man, it's still the same Spider-Man. One thing I find kind of funny is Stan Lee's version of Spider-Man was much nerdier than any version of Peter Parker we've seen on screen. And Tobey Maguire was a nerdy Spider-Man. But, like, not even as nerdy as the comic book version was originally. That Spider-Man seems more nerdy to us just because it was the 60s. And so he dresses even more weirdly and his hair style is even more weird. So he comes across as even nerdier than he probably was. So. Another one. Stan Lee, uh, my favorite superhero team is the fantastic my favorite Marvel superhero teams, the Fantastic Four? I really like them because I find the Fantastic Four have this dynamic of um almost fight being one hero, if that makes any sense. Like, it doesn't feel like I'm reading a team book, it more so feels like I'm just reading a one book of these characters. Well, they're kind of like the Ninja Turtles in the regards of you can still have a favorite member, but at the end of the day, you don't love one without the others. But uh, this is kind of contradicting from what I just said. Um, you can there's some great solo Johnny stories out there where it's just not solo. There's some great Johnny stories where it's him and Spider Man, two of Stanley's creations. Um, because they're best friends. Like, it, well, they used to be till everything got changed. But, like, 
for a long time it was um Spider-Man and Johnny, right? Like the two of them are the best the best friends in the Marvel universe, but and I think that's kind of nice that you can kind of have Johnny still be in this team as a character, and then um, but also have friends off of it because it'd be unrealistic for them to just be in this bubble, right? But yeah, I get what you're saying about that too, because uh, you almost like when you rank your favorite characters to me at least. Like the Fantastic Four and the Ninja Turtles, you almost have to rank as like one character, mm-hmm. even though um, they four. When I'm thinking of my favorite characters, what usually happens is I'll have uh, Kyle Rayner, Superman, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and uh, Lex Luthor. Because like the four, this is this is related, I promise. Uh, but like the four of um, Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lex Luthor, like. You can't have, in my opinion, a good Superman story for the most part without having the four of them incorporated in one way or another, whether it's in the background, because they're so essential for every character in current Superman mythos. And I find that's a sign of good character um, growth, because the characters grow in to be reliant on each other. So yeah, um, uh, another creation that I like is um Daredevil. Uh, yeah, and, and I haven't ever read the original Daredevil comic books, but they look really, really cool. I think that was Ditko's work. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm pretty sure that was Ditko, who is one of the all-time great comic book artists. But um, Daredevil and Spider-Man are tied for my favorite Marvel hero. Like, I'm a big Daredevil fan, though. Uh, yeah, I tell me that. Yeah. Um. He, before um, I went on this. Uh, before I read Superior Spider-Man, Daredevil was my favorite Marvel hero. I think that might be what you said on like our first episode or something. I think it probably was. Um, Daredevil was the character that got me into comics, kind of. He was one of the characters that like helped me into it. Because I was back when I was just getting into comics, the second season of the Netflix show came out. And I really liked that. And then that made me want to read the Daredevil comics. Um, huh. So, uh, Jack... I'm not Jack. Jack Kirby did the first Daredevil cover, and Steve Ditko get the did the inkings on it. But some guy who I've never heard of before now named Bill, Ev- I can't say his last name ever. Ed uh, did the pe- pencils on it the for for the first issue of Daredevil. I wonder who has a co-creator credit. I think that I'm not sure if that was Daredevil's first appearance, though. I don't know for sure. I I'm I'm gonna look it up quick. I'm curious to see who they gave uh, credit to for Daredevil. However, half of the things in comics don't have credit because, like, what happens is the companies buy the characters and then they just 
swoop the creators under the rug almost. Yeah, or like the creators get kind of short handed like um Bill Finger with Batman. Or um arguably Bill Finger contributed to Batman more than uh Bob Kane did. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why in every single Superman comic or comic book having Superman like in it for two pages says uh if I can find here, yeah, I'm just trying to make sure I read it. Right. Um says Superman created by uh Joe Suster. Wait, uh, um Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Suster by um Best with the Jerry Siegel family because they tried to make it so it was nobody created Superman, but it didn't go well for them. The DC uh, almost went like lost the rights to Superman by Jerry Siegel's family suing them that way they'd get proper credit for it, which is an interesting story. But I think they do now. Yeah, they... any story that Superman even briefly shows up in, they have to have. Uh, a special thanks to... Yeah, that's because of that lawsuit. That's what I was just trying to say. Okay, so I did find... I did look it up. It says, Daredevil was created by writer-editor Stan Lee and artist Bill Everett with an unspecified amount of input from Jack Kirby. For a long time, um, almost anything created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby was just called Stan Lee stuff. And then Jack Kirby died before it became a thing of looking in on who made what. And we never really knew what Jack Kirby contributed to comics. Like, his art's so recognizable. He wrote, like he made most of the Fantastic Four, is what a lot of people say. Like, not all of it, but, like, a lot of the Fantastic Four came from him. It's just because of how unserious comic books were taken when they were first being made. It's so hard to know who made what. Yeah, comics didn't have nearly the following back then that they do now. Superman did, though, because uh, like, he took off right away, and then they died down after the, 40, after the early 40s, and then they picked up again. Yeah, I, I think comic books have been up and down in general. Um, like, honestly, now there is quite the fan base for comic books out there. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, comic book sales are a thing uh, that many worry about right now. The peak of comic book sales were really in the 90s. However, in the early 80s, Teen Titans and X-Men were carrying it. Well, I'm thinking it was like the 90s or maybe early 2000s even, where like Marvel actually almost went bankrupt. Yeah, I, thought, I think that would have been the early 2000s. Uh, because I know in the 90s, um, everything was like being really well sold, and then it died down because they were going too hard. Like they they were because they got um they got too high up that they forgot that they still had budgets, and they just spent too much after that because they kind of reached their peak. Put money in the movies that didn't do well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the 80, the late 80s. I think it was kind of the start of like uh, the modern comic book age. I have a, if I can find, I have like a thing that documents the comic book age. I think it was, um, 
but ah, uh, I'm thinking the clay eighties. I think it may. Have, it's so. It was late. Some people say it was at the beginning of the eighties is when that happened. Like like with uh, Teen Titans and X Men, but other people because it's. It's so hard to try to find the correct ages of comics because you have like the dark ages, the dark ages, what some people call, but some people just go by bronze, silver, and gold. Like, it's because you have the current age of comics and the modern age of comics. Well, here, okay, here, I'm looking up, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, and they say that generally the modern age has considered to have begun in the mid. 1980s. They also mention that one of the comics that seems to signify the beginning of the modern age was Watchmen in 1986. Mm-hmm. Some, but other people also point towards Infinite Crisis changing it. That's what I hear a lot. But uh, I have the 80 Years of Superman book which documents Superman's ages. And it has like a thousand ages in it. Like you have the Bronze Age, which is what everybody acknowledges being a thing. Then you have the Dark Age. Then you have the Modern Age. Then you have the Current Age. Yeah. Well, uh, in the Modern Age actually uh, gave you one of one of my favorite franchises, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, comic, which was originally published in the eighties. Yeah. Uh. And it definitely had a modern age vibe to it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... Um, the Ninja Curls weren't quite as light as they usually are now. The first issue of Ninja Curls is so rare. They were darker, but it wasn't like anything bad. I've read the original Ninja Curls comic books, and they still have a level of fun to them. Um, and there's... It's nothing hard. Like, they're just darker than... My knowledge of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, other than maybe liking them when I was four years old, is all based off the Injustice 2 cameo appearance they made in as a fighter. I really enjoyed them for like the few hours I put in on playing as them. I didn't know. I love the Ninja Turtles. I would guess the Ninja Turtles are probably bitter. Uh, in the U.S. and they are in Canada. I don't know exactly how. Yeah, that's one thing I don't know. Is like I guess online stuff doesn't matter, but like I don't know what properties might be more popular in Canada or less popular. Basically the same <laughs> stuff, really. Like but, it does. There's there's not too much of a difference, really. I mean, I think maybe once there was, but I think with like online and social media now. Um, I think now it's mostly about the same. Well, everything because everything the US gets, they, they import from different countries. Like the, in Canada it's the same way. Neither of US or Canada is like an in the fully functional independent country, right? Like we both, like both countries get all the same stuff from diff- all the same countries. It's just, we have bigger trade tariffs on them which make it so some of the stuff that we get are harder to get. Yeah, I, As far as, like, comic stuff, I don't know. I know some of the sports, like, you know, hockey's more popular in Canada. 
uh, football is more popular in the U.S. and baseball and all that good stuff. But, but yeah, sometimes when I talk to you, I have to remember, like, oh, wait, yeah. Uh, he's in Canada. Like, when I was telling you about the, that I got the PlayStation, uh, I had to remember, oh, yeah, my $200 is not going to be his $200. So I had to, like, Google, like, what the equivalent would be in Canada. Yeah, it doesn't help that the province I live in has the, it not, may not be the highest, but it has ridiculous high tax payments on everything. So, like, when I go to, um, I, yeah, when I go to like the U.S. on vacation, and like uh, everything costs almost more because of like what you have to add on with the exchange rate. Like it's so expensive there now for us. But we're getting way off topic. We are like we're getting way off topic. We're starting um, treading the waters where I'm far from an expert in. So yeah, but uh. Oh, yeah, oh, the characters. One thing I find funny about Daredevil is how any big fan of Daredevil can agree on this is how there's, like, almost three different Daredevils. There's not three, sorry, two different Daredevils. There's the gritty, dark um, Frank Miller Daredevil, and then there's the Frank Miller and uh, Brian Michael Bendis-esque Daredevil, and there's the happy-go-lucky Daredevil that Stanley and Mark Wade are most known for writing. I like them both equally, but yeah. at the same time, when I talk about Daredevil, I kind of have to translate between the two. And um, one thing I find interesting is there seems to be, like, when people talk about who would win, Daredevil, for some reason, gets matched up against Nightwing a lot. I've, I've never they use batons. They have no other similarities. Well, like martial arts and similar weapons. Uh, it's, and honestly, I do find it kind of an interesting matchup because, like, I think it's actually kind of hard to tell who exactly would win. What superhero doesn't use martial arts, though? I mean, at least those types of characters, street levels. I mean, like, Superman doesn't use, like, martial arts per se, but he knows how to fight even outside of his powers to an extent. Superman got trained in martial arts in modern continuity. I could see that. Uh, that was a Mark Wade change in birthright, I think. Or it could have been Jeff Sons, one of the two. One um, character that I think... think about it, if you think about it, it makes sense that most superheroes are trained because... If your main occupation is going to be fighting bad guys and saving people, you're going to want to know how to fight bad guys and save people. I don't like what a good fighter Spider-Man is in one hand-to-hand combat. It makes no sense. Why Spider-Man's a good fighter? Yeah, because, like, like, I get... Like, I like the way he fights in the Ultimate Universe, but other than that, it doesn't make any sense why he can, like, the spider, uh, the comedy sponsor gets spider sense, but spider sense won't make him kick a guy out a window. It's a problem I have with the movies, like in every origin scene you see of him, he's just instantly a good fighter. To me, I just find I just usually thought of it as like a combination of things. Because I mean, with this, the spider bite, he has super strength now, and I think the idea is usually he fights more with agility, 
Uh, <laughs> and spiders are generally thought of as being agile insects and jumping around and everything. So it's almost like they have a fighting like a spider. And the spider sense definitely helps as far as the defensive goes. Uh, yeah. I mean, almost anyone could probably get out of the way of punches if you knew when and where they were going to happen. Uh, and as far as the offensive goes, he does a lot of sw- swinging and flipping around. Uh, so he, in a way, kind of does fight like a spider. And so that's kind of how I usually thought of it. Ah. One thing that I um, find interesting uh, about all of Stanley's creations is how every one of them, in one way or another, has the same kind of... None of Stanley's creations, like, other than ones that are purposely changed to be this way, had this kind of overly dark and deep, tragic backstory. I mean, you had sad backstories, like Uncle Ben dying, but it wasn't like... It wasn't like you didn't you wouldn't have ten thousand pages of Spider-Man brooding over Uncle Ben's grave grave for like a whole story arc about it. Like you, it'd be an overarching plot point, but he never let um sad parts of his stories take over it. Like almost every modern superhero art is like, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it it does. Um, because even though Spider-Man has kind of a sad origin story in some regards. You can't, it kind of moves you along. It kind of gives the hero good motivation. Because I think that's one thing that Stanley was good at. Is Stanley was good at not creating heroes who were just like, oh, let's be superheroes. Because uh, he was good at actually giving them motivations and reasons for doing what they did. I think um, that the biggest contribution uh, Stan Lee gave to comics is giving them that heart in a way. Like, he made comics be this thing that was more that, that uh, if you read the first 18 issues of Spider Man, and it's like it had this nice continuing on story, but it was all about like how Peter was feeling. And I think. Uh, like, there were stories before, like, it'd be unfair to say there was no real emotion-driven stories in superheroes comics beforehand. But I think Stanley Common made it more common to have sto- superhero stories to be about emotion. And, like, a lot of times in, like, the letter... I'm, I'm blanking on what they were called. The letters at the end of the issues. Stan Soapbox? Yeah, Stan Soapbox. Um, he actually um, gave some good lessons in there. I don't remember what the quote was, but it seems like I read a Stanley quote the other day that was like advice he gave in the sixties that like we could use about now. Um, there's this I forget what the website's called, but there's a website that's just. Stan soapbox quotes, and it's nice. Uh, I think um, that was uh, a great way for Stan Lee to solidify himself in the comic book mind. Because when you have this guy almost talking to the audience at the end, you associate comics with him, like, and it really um, gives Stan Lee this. 
like he he knew what he was doing. Like he like when he did that, like he knows that now that like people would associate him with the comics and it'd be like Marvel Comics, Stanley, and it's a good. He was really good at marketing. Um, another thing I like, I thought was kind of funny. Um, one time ago, I watched a Netflix thing. It was basically like an hour and a half long interview with Stanley, and uh, I enjoyed every second of it. But that's besides the point. But I remember in the interview, he talked about how he would make all of his characters their names. He would make their first name start with the same letter as their last name. Uh, this way, he could remember their names easier and keep them straight, which is why, you know, Spider-Man's Peter Parker, Daredevil's Matt Murdock, and you got Reed Richards, Bruce Banner. Um, yeah, I mean, he said there were a couple exceptions, you know, like Tony Stark, for example, but that he used a lot of alliterated names uh, to help keep track. And, like, that's something I would have never even noticed if he hadn't said anything. But then you're like, oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> Oh. One second. Um, Stanley, he uh made it so that um his characters all have uh a Stanley feel to them. Like the it's not like when you're reading like them, like oh that was definitely made by the same person. But if somebody were to tell you they were, you'd be able to say, oh I can see that. Like, but it wasn't. But they weren't so similar. They'd stand out like that. But um, they had this feeling of, uh, I don't know what the exact word was, like not connective, not being connected, but just the same kind of vibe from all of them. If that that makes sense. Okay. I think we're we're kind of talking in circles right now. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess about. I think we're at this point we're like just really going off on what's on our mind about Stan Lee. So, um, you. So, uh, we decided. Sorry for kind of stumbling there. Um, we're gonna talk about like the cameos now. And uh, do you want to start off about the cameos? Um. There's, it's always hard to start. There's so many cameras. I have a, I have a clear favorite in mind. It's a, this is gonna be really weird. Like, um, I don't think this is anybody else's favorite cameo ever for Stanley, but it's in the one DC movie he did a cameo in, and uh, and Teen Titans go to the movies. But it's, I wish people didn't hate on that just for being Teen Titans go because that's like a, a gem and he just fun movie making fun of superhero movies. There's a scene where Stan Lee realizes he's not in a Marvel movie and it's just him freaking out saying, this is a DC movie, I shouldn't be here. And it just made me laugh a lot because it was so self-aware. And it was, and he had like more speaking lines in that film than he has in most cameos because he's in it twice. And I thought it was funny how... It made, he was almost he like had the scene where he saved the characters by 
turning into a mixture of the Hulk and Spider-Man and the janitor. And it was just so weird. It made me laugh a lot. Yeah, I never saw that movie, but it sounds funny. That You have to be in the right mood to see it, and you can't go in it. Like, if you know DC lore well enough, like, I'm a... Like, I know, like, the every... Like, uh, I know a lot about DC. I don't know everything or anything. Like, I know tons of, like, the really obscure characters from the 60s. And there's so many callbacks to everything. It's just full of Easter eggs, and it's really enjoyable in that way. But, uh, so what's your favorite, um, Stanley cameo? Um... What's funny is I remember, like, honestly, I remember there was a recent one, not like one of the last movies, Marvel movies, that was really good, but, like, I can't remember what it even was. Like, my mind's totally blanking on what the recent cameos were. Like, my mind is telling me that his one in Ant-Man and the Wasp was good, but I don't even remember what it was. I forget everything about Ant-Man and the Wasp. That movie was so forgettable for me, at least. Like, if you asked me to name one scene in that movie, I couldn't. See, I really like it, but I'm the kind of person who, to really remember a movie, I gotta see it twice. Hmm. I don't think I'll ever rewatch Ant-Man and the Wasp. It has no value for me to watch it again. It just... It felt so much like a Marvel superhero movie that you could just see everything coming because it was just like every other Marvel movie. I don't think they should have made it because it ruined Marvel's good year with Infinity War and Black Panther. I thought it was a good movie, though. Yeah. And that's all, all the more to you, but like it just it felt so... I can't describe it properly. I, I thought it was a good one to have because both Black Panther and Infinity War were more serious and more hardcore, so I thought it was nice to have one to, I guess, just slow down with and enjoy and just have fun with it. I can see that, but other than the fact that it had like that end credit scene, there's nothing really to connect it to the rest of the Marvel universe. Uh, that's part of the reason why I liked it. Yeah, but like, um, and I, I'm fine with that because honestly, I don't like I don't like any Sam Agnew versions. I find it, I find it doesn't work for film. But that's besides the point. But if you want that, like, there's um, other movies, like other action movies that have it, and it just felt. It felt unnecessary to have. But that's uh, totally besides the point with you. Any cameo that you really stands out to you that you remember? Okay, one... Well, I, I remember, like, a lot of the cameos. Just the... I can't remember the one in the Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I remember it was good, though. Um, but one cameo I liked was actually before the MCU. It's an old one. Was um, his cameo in the Daredevil movie. Uh, to me, I just find it very funny because I don't know if you've seen the movie or not. But I have not. 
Yeah, uh, the Ben Affleck Daredevil is hated on generally, but I actually did enjoy it. Now, I understand why people hate on it, because it's got a lot of problems, but I still liked it. Um, but anyway, one of the things that it had going for him was the cameo by Daredevil. So basically, it's young Matt Murdock. Um, it's after his accident, so he's blind, and you know, so he's out just walking uh, with, you know, his cane thing, I forget what, I don't know what you call him, uh, with his sunglasses, you know, very obvious that he's blind, and Stan Lee's also walking, and he's reading the newspaper, and so Stan Lee's about to walk into the screen, reading the newspaper, and Matt Murdock, who is blind, stops him, and so then uh, Stan Lee kind of just awkwardly looks at him as, you know, the truck uh, uh, cruises along, um, and then they go, and it's it's funnier to watch and not explain, uh, but it was just really funny. I wonder uh, what movie Stan Lee will stop doing cameos in. Like, I wonder if they recorded a his Far From Home cameo before he passed away. That's what I... Well, okay. So, I did hear that it was confirmed that he had cameos in the next Avengers and the Captain Marvel movie. That's because they were filming it months ago. I didn't hear a confirmation for Far From Home. However, I do happen to know that that rat's filming like a month ago. Yeah, but like um, nobody with Stan Lee, some of his cameos are done in reshoots. So that's why. This, well, um, yeah, that's why I don't know for sure. I know that like I mean, sometimes his cameos are done, like, like last minute. Like, I remember when Ant-Man came out, I was disappointed because I had read that there was good, wasn't going to be a Stanley cameo in Ant-Man and that they didn't get the scheduling worked out. Um, well, then they surprised us by squeezing him at, like, the very end of the movie. Uh, which, I guess, reminding myself, that's another cameo I really liked, was his... Uh, Crazy, stupid, fun cameo in Ant Man. Uh, he had a good cameo in um the Spider Man Homecoming film. I found it funny where he was just yelling at Spider Man. I like. Okay. I also like his Avengers Age of Ultron cameo because he was able to say his uh, iconic catchphrase. Yeah. Honestly, so think... most of the Stan Lee cameos are good. Yeah, uh, there's there's they've there's very few times where it feels too crammed in there. Oh wait, wait, okay. I just I just randomly remembered the Ant Man and the Lost cameo. <laughs> it it was when he's trying to get in his car and his car shrinks, and he goes, "The sixties were great." Well, I'm paying for it now. <laughs> Where am I going? Seventies, sixty. He either like sixties or seventies. Hmm. I think we have. I think we've talked everything we can. So I think that's an episode. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add? Um. Not to my knowledge, other than um, just. 
still saddened by the loss and thoughts and prayers go to his family. Um, and Stanley's just a person that I don't think anyone's going to forget for a very, very long time. Yeah, 